Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. check this podcast and tonight i am joined by brian p otter brian is running for u.s senate in colorado brian i'm gonna let you kind of introduce yourself tell us a little bit about yourself and uh the district that you're running in and then we'll kind of take it from there hello my name is brian p otter i am running for the u.s senate here in colorado i'm the libertarian candidate i'm running against two big government people who basically agree on everything and are going to argue about their differences. And I wanted to make sure that I was a voice that gets out there to give people an option that will feel good when they vote for someone, you know, an option that actually believes that the constitution was a good idea and that we should try using it. And as far as overcoming the, the obstacles that we face in our everyday world, most, if not all of them, are obstacles of government. You know, we, we could all be richer. We could all have better lives. We could all be healthier if there was less government. So I think that is generally the libertarian talking point. I also want to say that I'm part of the new libertarian party, uh, the cool party, the party that actually knows up from down and, and can articulate an, a, a message of liberty. Even if uh, I may not be the best, I'm I'm better than it was. So please give me the opportunity to to get your vote. So on that topic, I guess that kind of takes us straight into the kind of the first thing. So I'm assuming you are one of the Mises Caucus, uh, or at least Mises Mises Caucus adjacent uh, libertarians. Is that a pretty safe assumption? Yes. So I started the Young Republicans Club at my high school. I was a big George Bush fan until Ron Paul changed my heart in 2008 and follow up in 2012. And that time in college for me was in between those two presidential elections where I read a whole lot of Mises and Rothbard and Hayek. And I actually became a, a very libertarian. I'm, I'm still a Christian. I'm still, a, I, I still like the word conservative, 
but I, I get that 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 word can be used in good and bad ways. Uh, but I, I became a real libertarian at that point. I did not join the Libertarian Party until I found out about the, the Mises Caucus and what we were trying to do to change the Libertarian Party, because I've always more or less despised the Libertarian Party, perhaps because it seems like their main goal was to argue with themselves. And and Republicans and Democrats also argue with themselves, but they can put a face on the, their public face and go out and support each other and, and try to get elected. And, and so seeing that we've changed the party, I want to be a part of it. I want to help people get elected. It's interesting that you brought that up because I was uh, I was big into the Republican Party when I was in college. Uh, I was a big George Bush supporter went out and actually traveled to campaign for him in 04, uh, started a college Republicans group uh, when I was in college. Um, and I noticed a lot of that same stuff too. Like for the longest time, I, I really had no use for the Libertarian Party just because it seemed like a lot of uh, a lot of circle jerk without a whole lot going on uh, in terms of like practically applying the stuff that they talked about. And like you said, like there's, there's always fighting with each other over who's more Libertarian. And that happens in the Republican Party as well, but it it tends to happen more uh, behind closed doors. I mean, over the last couple of years, you've seen it a little more publicly with the uh, the Trump movement and the Trump moment, and some of the uh, the division that has come from the more uh, progressive conservatives versus the the actual like true right wing type or the or the new right as as it's been called. And and also, you've seen it a little more publicly with with the left between the the more moderate left wing and the radically woke uh, progressive leftist. You've seen more of that schism. Uh, but usually, like you said, you know, when it comes to election time, they all put on a they all put on a face and they all support each other and they all make it happen. Whereas the Libertarian Party is notorious for. Uh, tearing each other down to, to their own detriment. I mean, you see and, it, you and, see it and, regularly. And like you see recently, we've seen Trump go out and campaign for Dr. Oz. I think those people dislike each other and yet they can both claim to be each other's friends for campaign purposes because they're both Republicans. And honestly, I really like Republican and Democrat people that aren't in the party. Like as far as the party organization and structure and they're not politicians, they're just normal people. They're my neighbors and they're my friends. I really like you, even if you're a registered Democrat or a Republican, I want to hang out with you. As long as as long as you aren't one of those like jello politicians that you can't nail to a wall because I don't know what you think and you won't say what you mean. You know, if you're just a normal everyday American we can hang out, we can be friends, and we agree on a lot of things. We just might disagree on the best avenue of solving the problems we both agree on are the problems. So let's talk about some of those things that um, you and I in particular are going to agree on. Let's let's talk about some of your platform and some of the, the uh, some of the things that you're running on. I know Colorado has typically been a little more purple and leans blue. I'm not sure... Um, the particular leaning of the of the district that you're in. Um, I have tried to do a little bit of research since we had the conversation of of having this conversation, and it seems as if 
it's starting to swing back a little bit more, uh, a little bit more conservative in certain parts of Colorado. Um, so let's talk about some of your platforms, some of the things that you believe firmly in and that you're really using as like sticking points for, for what you're going to run on. Well, first let me give your, anyone listening, here's a background on Colorado. We are like any other state that voted Republican until there was mass mail-in voting enacted. Once you do that, you vote Democrat. When once voting turnout goes into the 80% range, the people who are too lazy to vote on election day, but can vote when you give them a month, those people are Democrats. So if we went to mail-in voting, uh, sorry, if we went back to same day voting in Colorado, I would expect Colorado would be a red state this year. And they would have been red any, any of the last four elections. It's strictly a numbers game. When you give somebody a whole month and a bunch of money to go organize the vote and get all these lazy people who are registered as Democrats to vote, the Republicans or the Democrats have an advantage. They can go door to door in apartment buildings. They can go door to door on in, in communities where there's almost no people that would show up to vote on election day if they had to wait in line for an hour. And that is a huge advantage. We are a fully blue state because of mail-in voting. Right or wrong, that is a strategy that the left enacted successfully. California, Colorado, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, they all were blue in 2020, Joe Biden and Georgia, because of being able to vote by mail in 2020. So has Colorado done anything about that? I know I know Georgia and Arizona have put in some new uh, voting laws that require mail-in ballots to be, um, they put extra scrutiny on mail-in ballots. I believe Wisconsin may have also done something similar to, to um, put additional scrutiny on mail-in ballots. Has Colorado done anything of, in so, that nature? Other states have been able to do things because they have opponents that will lose and are currently in control of their state legislatures. Colorado is a completely blue state in every single branch of government, uh, House, Senate, governorship. Uh, we, we have no chance of enacting any change unless we can convince the populace of a better way. People love, people love the convenience of mail-in voting, and I understand that. I think that there's if I can go on my banking app and move money around and have faith in it, I should be able to go on Election Day onto an app on my phone without waiting in line and securely vote. Now, there's going to be issues with any solution somebody comes up with, but I think there's a better solution than trusting the USPS, which is not the most trustworthy or relied upon method for anything. And on top of it, the design of having your signature separated from the ballot means that once the envelope and the ballot are separated, there's no more traceability to how you voted. You can easily get rid of and replace ballots because they're no longer connected to anything. So why can't you sign the ballot? Why can't we have a, a digital ID and have a unique ID on a digital system, I, I think that's possible. So I think if you convince the populace of a better way, maybe by ballot initiative, we'd have a, a chance at changing it. But 
people massively support mail-in ballots in Colorado. So there's no way we're getting rid of it to go wait in line on election day again. And as far as libertarians go, I don't care because it, it massively benefits Democrats. We aren't the Republicans, right? So we, we, go, we are going to have to win the war of ideas, win locally, win the sheriff's race, go out there and change people's lives in a very small but meaningful way. So um, to that point, um, why run for Senate instead of something more local? I, I do both. I ran for city council last year. Oh. So we, it is very easy to have ballot, ballot access in Colorado, and we need to take full advantage of it for every opportunity that we have to have candidates that care, that want to spread and share the message of liberty, especially in a year like this where we have a very just like rubber stamp Democrat, not like a real diehard Democrat really believes in anything, just is going to vote Democrat no matter what, like however he's told to vote by the whip. And then the Republicans go out and nominate a a somebody who would have been a liberal Democrat like 10 or 15 years ago, but is now trying to call himself a moderate conservative. So he, he's bad on guns. Okay. With red flag laws. He's, he's bad on government spending. He's bad on the war in Ukraine. He's bad on the war on drugs. He's bad on most things. Uh, when, when um, Republicans like him talk about fiscal responsibility, they mean instead of being a trillion dollars in debt, let's be $500 billion in debt. I mean, let's drive the speed limit as we head towards the cliff, right? It's the, it's the traditional conservative way. They're conserving something that's terrible. I was going to ask you about that because I, I did look into him a little bit. Um, it, it looked like the, uh, the Republican primary was a pretty crowded field. And the guy who ended up emerging, I can't remember uh, his name off the top of my head. Which Joe Day. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, he looks kind of like a Trump light sort of a, a model. Like he's a wealthy businessman who, as you said, like he, he would have been a, a moderate Democrat 10, 15 years ago. And, and that's, so that seems to be kind of his, uh, his, his stick or his appeal is he's sort of in that vein and he's basically just, um, less of a Democrat than the Democrat <laughs> for lack of a better way of explaining his, what appear to be his policy. So how are you uh, campaigning wise? How are you kind of attacking that squishiness of, of him? Because if, if Colorado is kind of, starting to swing a little bit back to the right as it uh, at least by some uh, by what some people are projecting it seems that that may be happening a bit um, how are you in your campaign going to attack that that squishiness of a not very strong Republican candidate I think this is an easy win for the libertarian party if the Republican candidate is going to abandon his base on conservative issues. The conservatives are ours for the taking. Libertarians are good on limited government. Libertarians are good on limited government. 
they're good on the constitution we're good on gun rights we're good on free speech there's more in common with my campaign than O'Day's campaign for anybody who's traditionally a conservative Republican. Now, I don't know where you stand as a if you're a listener and you're a Republican on the war in Ukraine and the fact that I don't want to be a part of it. If or if if you are against the war in Ukraine, you're with me, not either of the other two candidates. If you think that uh, that people being let out on the streets is a bad thing for homelessness, drug use, general robbery. I'm with you. I, I don't think that the solution is to write new laws or give police forces more money, but actually it's your problem there is, is just bad DAs that aren't enforcing existing laws and public, public roads and public spaces, public authorities allowing people to be on those spaces. So I, I can't think of very many issues except perhaps marijuana where I would lose any Republican. So on, on, on marijuana, I don't use marijuana and I don't use sugar and I don't use alcohol, but I don't want to put anybody in prison who disagrees with me on any of those things. So if you think that you need to go to prison, if you smoke marijuana, I'm not going to win your belt. Let me ask you about that particular topic. Um, since, now correct me if I'm wrong, marijuana has been legalized in in Colorado, or has it just been de decriminalized? Which is it? I know it's. I know you can buy it at dispensaries and stuff like that. It's totally legal at the state level. It's totally illegal at the federal level. Okay, that's that's what I thought. Um, so on that, has has that shifted the more conservative base in Colorado, like? Uh, so like here in Indiana, they actually moved to decriminalize uh, cannabinoids and, and other uh, forms of uh, cannabis for medicinal purposes. And then once they realized what they had done and then that those things were actually uh, different forms of marijuana, they like freaked out and tried to reverse all of those decisions or reverse all of that legislation um, because it is an, a... a super red state here in Indiana. Um, how has the legalization of, of marijuana affected or has it made any sort of a change in the, the more conservative base in Colorado? Traditionalists are really bothered by it in the way that say a bar is opened down the street from your house in your neighborhood and a lot of riffraff comes by because uh, they go partying until 2 a.m. and then they walk home drunk. And you didn't used to have that. Now you're really bothered by that whole event. Um, that still that kind of complaint exists for people who don't like the smoke from their from their neighbor. They don't like the marijuana shop bringing in people that are undesirable in their neighborhood, according to them. But I think most people are okay with the fact that it's legal. They just are annoyed by it maybe on an individual basis or have opinions that it's, it's wrong to use, which I'm totally on board with you having that opinion and I don't use it. So it's not that type of problem of it being, I'm afraid of crime and drug dealing on my street. Like it, I, I feel like the actual crimes 
under under prohibition of marijuana were way worse than legalization. Um, a civil asset forfeiture is is one of the biggest evils in our country. Last I checked, there has been a higher value of goods taken from civil asset forfeiture than under burglary. That it's a bigger problem in America than burglary. By a long shot, actually. It's uh, yeah, the stats are pretty, uh, the stats on that are pretty staggering. Like when you look at uh, the amount, just like a dollar figure amount of what the federal government through or state and local governments through civil asset forfeiture uh, effectively steal on an annual basis, as opposed to what actual burglars steal. It's not, it's a horrible, it's not violation. Even it's a horrible violation of all of our rights. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, you um, have you had anybody in campaigning or anything uh, bring up the marijuana topics or, or anything like that? Like, do you have uh, do you have some of like the statistics or figures that you can uh, give them with that to, to kind of explain why, you know, um, from a libertarian position, you know, legalization of drugs is actually a positive thing, not a it's not a negative. I have had longer conversations where I have shared my point of view and won people over, and I've had short conversations where I have apparently touched a nerve and I will never get their vote. You know, it's a mix. Some people are just firmly against anybody who's not against putting people in jail for marijuana, and some people are willing to talk to you about it. And that's just the way life is. There's a mix of people. And I think that I like that person who won't vote for me because of it. I I am in the Venn diagram of politicians overlapping more with their beliefs than any other option on the ballot. But, you know, people make emotional decisions on who they vote for. And that's why they aren't libertarians. Because anyone who's thought out their, like the implications of their votes would end up libertarian. Well, and some of those people are, uh, very hardline single topic voters. And a lot of times there's something personal in their background that like you're, you're not going to, to reach. I, I had a, I had a long conversation with somebody on over Facebook during the 2020 uh, campaign governor's campaign here in, in Indiana. And at the end of it, um, I mean, we, we went back and forth all day. It was an older lady and marijuana was actually one of the big topics that she was very opposed to. And, at the end of it, uh, she was not going to agree with me, but she agreed that I had made good points. So, like sometimes that's that's as far as you're going to ever make it, and you know you plant yeah. a seed and hope hope it might actually get uh, spring into something at some point later. And I, I am glad um, that we kind of moved in that direction because with the topic of single uh, single issue voters, I like on your website the where you list uh, on the issues. The very first one that you have is abortion and you have a very strong stance on that. Could you kind of elaborate on that and kind of go into that a little bit? Because that um, that deviates from what would be a maybe a traditional or maybe the uh, the old school, like more praggy type of a libertarian position. Um, that was something that that we really that was something that we really struggled with when promoting the libertarian candidate here in Indiana in 2020 for governor was that the, like the official libertarian stance on abortion was really wordy and not real clear. And so people, it, people assumed that it meant pro-choice when uh, the candidate himself was very pro-life, but it wasn't explicitly stated. So t 
talk about your position on abortion and also on adoption, because I think that's equally as important, if not more so. I am staunchly pro-life. I believe that that is a life uh, inside a womb that calling it other things like reproductive rights is a perversion of, of the act. Now, 20% of pregnancies in 2020 were ended in abortion. That is an extremely high percentage. And that does not count anything that happened within, you know, 48 hours. So morning after pills are not in the percentages at that point. It's actually, you, you need to wait a couple of weeks before you can test positive for being pregnant. Uh, it's not like COVID. It takes a couple of weeks. And at that point, it's a pregnancy. So 20% from that point, we're ended in, in, in abortion. I think that's an evil. So to be clear, I am against using government money on anything that is the result of or subsidizes an abortion, including embryonic research, stem cell therapies that are, you know, aborted babies, uh, vaccines that use embryos, anything that is a public dollar going to any of those things. And now, as far as on a federal level, I do not agree with the incorporation doc doctrine that the Supreme Court used in Roe v. Wade. And I believe that all crimes on, on the level of homicide on down should be taken care of at the state level. So I don't believe there should be drug laws at the federal level. I don't think there should be any kind of violence related laws, even if it's against the president. If the president had something committed against him, it was in a state or it was, I guess if, if crime takes place like in the military bases outside of the U.S. boundaries, you can have federal crimes. But, but even if, in that case, like the, the military has their own, they have their own judicial system. They have their own military police. They have their own military. Right, those, like those, they, those are, they have ways of dealing with that right. outside of the federal government. But, but those are, those are still federal investigators, right? Even if they're military police in Germany, because they're right, right. the federal government. So outside of that, I think that it should be set up by the States. And I'm very conflicted about any kind of punishment for um, an illegal abortion, you know, does, does putting a, a woman in prison fix anything? Uh, I don't have an answer for that. I would say that I don't know. And I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I just, I, I believe that abortion is murder and that we should not allow public money to be spent on behalf of it. Yeah, anything that the government does in terms of like funding Planned Parenthood or something like that, like that's um, all the all the leftists can talk about how Planned Parenthood is actually uh, women's uh, health care and, and treatment or whatever. But when 80 percent of what they do is abortions, that's that's a pretty damning number and, and explains exactly what it is that they do pretty pretty accurately, I would say. Let's talk about the adoption side yeah. of that, because you do have a very strong position on the adoption side. And I have. Uh, so I have been blessed with way too many kids. Um, so I haven't had to go through the process or uh, looked into it. But I do have friends who have gone through the process of adoption. And it is insanely complicated. And 
ridiculously expensive and really i mean that's it's a huge burden on on both the parent who is trying to put a child up for adoption as well as the parents who are trying to adopt children so let's let's talk about your positions on that so, and and uh, talk about that topic a little bit because that is I, the i absolutely listed. i absolutely agree so have you noticed people have have you ever met anybody who's gone and adopted a baby from outside of the united states yes there are many reasons why that is a better solution. So first, first of all, regardless of what the law says, if you adopt a child in the United States that was born in the United States and is a citizen already, the mother of that child can potentially come after you for that child all the way until they are 18. Right or wrong, a family court is likely to take the case and you have this overhang of a potential birth mother coming to take your baby away. Even if you believe that won't happen, it's a possibility. There's no way to say, here's a contract. You give away all your rights and you can never sue us. You can never come after us. You can never contact us. Like this won't ever be fully your baby. There's like something in the back of your mind that says there's a chance this mother could come after her baby. And at the same time, we, we, as people understand that, you know, the original mother might become a different person in 10 years and be ready to take their kid. And, and that might be what's best for the child. But as someone trying to adopt, you want to adopt somebody because you want a child. And you might want to raise them as your child and not tell them that they are adopted or however you want to do it as, as the parent. And so if you go outside the country, it's just simpler it's harder for that mother to do anything about your child or come after them and, you know, take them back from you at the same I, time. It's almost cheaper. And a lot of times it's just cheaper. So it can cost tens and tens of thousands of dollars. And none of that money goes to the mother of the child. So say there's a 16 year old who doesn't want a child and wants to put it up for adoption. There might be $30,000 spent on lawyers and legal paperwork and, filling things out and that 16 year old doesn't get a penny. She puts her body through nine months of pretty big changes to go through a pregnancy and the recovery from a pregnancy offer no, no money just to save the child, which is a heroic thing for that person to do. Why can't we give that person money? Because you can hire a surrogate to do the same thing. If it's your baby, they can have money to have your baby, but if it's their baby, now you're buying a kid and it's illegal when it's, it should be totally allowed. You should be able to go straight to that person on like an, a dating app, but for adopted babies, swipe right. This baby has this background. I'm not drinking. I'm not eating sugar during the pregnancy. I'm selling it for $25,000 and you have a contract that says, okay, I'll take that kid. And that's a contract that says this is my this this is my child forever, an error for the rest of my life, and you will never you will never contact this child again. It should be something simple like that, and it could be, make for a better world, make it easier for children to find happy homes. The psychopaths who would hear something like that would say, "Oh, well, you're trying to say that it's all right to buy and sell children." Like, no, that's this is a solution to a to the abortion and also the adoption problem that we have in the country like for all of those who 
would hear something like what you just proposed and, and try to spin it as uh, like child trafficking or something like that. Those are the same people who complain about kids being in foster care, not getting proper, not getting proper care, kids going through, you know, into the, the system and, and never coming back out and ending up, you know, delinquents or in juvie and, and all of the horrible things that happen to kids who do enter the system. Like these are legitimate solutions that um, kind of, I, I don't necessarily like to make the comparison, but it's a sort of an apt comparison, kind of like the, legalization of marijuana it can be uh there can be controls put on it by the government that allows it to be maintained properly without having uh, a bunch of uh, nefarious actors involved in it where that it is a legally binding contract people are uh willfully and consentingly engaged in uh in the in an exchange and and the government can collect their taxes on it too if they you know if that's what they want to do and then and if, make if it people, where it's actually uh, attainable for normal people to, because you have to, like, in order to adopt, you almost have to be in a, like, really good financial position. You have to, like, you have to really, really dot your eyes across your teeth. And, and like you were saying with the, the mother can back out or, or whatever, um, I actually had my best friend from college, he and his wife uh, were unable to have children. And the first time that they went to adopt both the mother and father signed away their parental rights uh before the before the baby was born and then the week that the baby was due the mother changed her mind and like they had already they had signed away their parental rights but she changed her mind at the last minute and so they just didn't get to have the baby or they didn't get to bring home the baby when she had it because she backed out like it's like they were they were waiting for the baby to be born um, that week when she changed her mind and then had to turn around and like they had to, they were out of state. They had, they had found a, a mother like out of state. And so they were in a hotel room waiting for her to go into labor and had to just leave and go back home because they weren't going to get the baby. Like that was, it was heartbreaking. Uh, yeah. And that's heart wrenching. And as far as any criticism, if anyone commits a crime with the child, whether they paid the mother to have so that they could adopt the baby or not, you can still prosecute that person for that crime. Like, oh, no, they're going to child sex traffic. That's still a crime. If somebody does that, you can still get them for that. You know, the, the act that they bought the kid isn't the crime that you're trying to stop. It's the actual crime. That's always something that... Um anytime they bring up all of these like crazy hypothetical situations, it's like, yeah, but that crazy hypothetical situation is, is still illegal. Like if that happens, then there are avenues to prosecute the person who did that. Like they're, it's not like you, they're just going to get away with it. It's, it's no different than having your own kid. You could do that with your own kid, right? You can be an evil person with your own child. Right. And rightly so, the state should take the child away and you should be prosecuted. Like if you do those things with your own child. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are illegal is illegal is illegal, whether, you know, regardless of the, the situation. Uh, you know, that's the it's the gun control argument. It's like, oh, well, what about these guns or these guns or these situations? It's like that's already illegal. Like what 
you're you're wanting more regulation on something that's already not legal. Let's talk about that because that is one of the things that you have mentioned on your uh, what are what are Colorado gun control laws like currently, and what are some of the things, if anything, that's uh, maybe in the works in Colorado? Do y'all have anything like constitutional carry or or any loosening of gun restrictions or or tightening of gun restrictions? What's what's going on so in your on, state with that uh, with the Second Amendment? Type on, on on one hand, we I live in one of the best states in the whole union as far as gun rights go for many different things. Our concealed carry laws allow us to carry inside government buildings as long as it isn't a K through 12 school. So you can carry on college campuses that are state campuses. You can go in a courthouse, anywhere that does not have a metal detector at every single entrance, you can carry inside of, but that is not, uh, that is a licensing uh, program where you have to go get a concealed carry permit. Now, at the same time, we also benefit from the fact that unlike California, which just had all the CCW registrations leaked, Colorado does not have a statewide registration. Every county has its own separate registrar of CCW holders. And so if I get pulled over by a policeman who is not from my county, he does not know or she does not know that I am carrying. So that is a... benefit for everybody's privacy uh it's a limited number of people who know that you are are concealed carry permit holder now on the other hand there are are all sorts of illegal gun laws in this state i don't have a record of every single one but for instance you can't have more than 10 rounds in a magazine yet that is easy to skirt you know like cheyenne is 100 miles away wyoming anyone who wants to get one can it's just a hassle or they sell repair kits that are just, you know, flagrant. You can walk into a gun store, here's a repair kit, and then you make your 30-round mag at home. Uh, but, you know, you can't have a 30-round mag just shipped to you from an online broker. So that's that's annoying. Uh, and then there's other specific cities that have banned open carry or different kinds of guns. Like Boulder has tried to say that AR-15s are illegal to have. I, I never keep track of the status of the court cases of what, what has happened and what hasn't happened and when it is legal or not legal to have things in Boulder. Basically, don't go to Boulder. Uh, that is the moral of the story. Um, I actually but, went to Boulder one time, and that was kind of what I took away from Boulder as well. Okay. This is like fun fun place to walk through. Don't think I want to spend any significant amount of time here. We have some pluses and some negatives. <laughs> So we're better than most blue states. We're not as good as some red states. You know, it's we could do better. I, I would go for open and concealed carry for everybody and no red flag laws, no ATF. I would like to get rid of the ATF and not replace it with anything. Everything they do is unconstitutional. Their entire existence is unconstitutional. You know, I, I believe that felons who have served their sentence and are allowed back into society should be even with the rest of us with their rights. They should have the right to bear arms again once they are released from prison, especially since they're most likely people to live in crime-ridden neighborhoods where they might need a firearm. And if you say, oh, but they're felons, we can't trust them, 
well, maybe you let them out of prison too early. Maybe mass murder, mass murderers should not be allowed back on the streets. Perhaps right, like a, a lot of the, a lot of the felons who aren't allowed to have guns were nonviolent offenders who did some stuff that they definitely shouldn't have been doing, probably, or even in some situations weren't doing anything necessarily wrong at all, and just happened to be uh, doing something maybe that the state doesn't like, but that. Didn't. There's many things wrong about the prison system, but one of the worst parts is the fact that you remain a prisoner after you get out in many ways as a second-class citizen. Yes, that is absolutely. Um, I'm a former and former employer of mine was a, a big second-chance employer, and we would uh, we would employ people who had gotten out of jail and were living in halfway houses and everything else. And I, that's that's the biggest thing that I saw with those guys is. A lot of them honestly didn't do anything bad to begin with, like wrong place at the wrong time, caught up in some bullshit. And and then they're constantly punished by society for forever, really. I mean, even even the ones who have been out for a long time, like it still hangs over them uh, to some extent for for decades. So, yeah, that is. Uh, is there anything? Is there anything in the works when, in Colorado to maybe move in, in a, a different direction on that? Um, with Colorado being fairly oh. blue and with blue states supposedly being uh, being more uh, ACAB or whatever you want to call it, like trying to, to move for supposedly blue states want to try to move for uh, criminal justice reform. Is there anything like that going on in Colorado currently? I, I don't know. I, I I haven't heard of anything large. So if there is, I'm just out of the out of the loop on that. That's it, that that doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know the red states are uh, all about black, black back the blue typically, and blue states are all about criminal justice reform. Except that they don't actually do anything to enact any level of criminal justice reform. Um, let's head no. on some. So. Oh, us as libertarians, we're for actual cr criminal justice reform, not just not prosecuting laws, right? Letting criminals out and not prosecuting laws. How about we change the system? So with the legalization of marijuana, did that result in anybody's uh, sentences being commuted or anything like that? I, I think some, especially for public relations things. You know, Jared Polis let some people out who are on on longer terms for that type of crime. I, I don't know how many, but I, there's, there's still federal prisons where people are serving a very long time for crimes where the States where they committed them are now, now be legal. That's something that I, I, I need to, uh, I need to spend some time looking into the numbers on that. Cause that, that is something that um, since that has become a more popular thing here over the last, decade or so with legalization of marijuana in different states or decriminalizing it in other states um, to look and see if if people are actually getting let out of jail. I'm I'm sure what they probably do is they tag on like a drug, a, a gun charge or or some other type of a petty type of charge to keep those people in prison, because at the end of the day, it is a uh, it is a money making scheme for the government. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the campaigning itself. How, how did you, 
Um, how did you decide to run? Like what was kind of, what kind of led up to that point? And then once you decided, what were some of the steps that you had to take in getting a campaign off the ground and getting going? Um, have you, do you get any support from uh, the Libertarian Party of Colorado or from the Mises Caucus or anything like that? Now, what have just been some of the challenges that you've run across with uh, managing life and campaigning and, and everything else? So I, I ran, I don't know if the word successful is right or not, because I lost. I ran a good campaign last year for city council. I got 45% of the vote. I knocked on 4,000 doors, which was all the doors in my, my district for my city council race. And I, I raised, I don't know what it was. Say it's like between thirteen and $15,000, I think. I was, I felt like that was a successful first round of campaigning and I learned a whole lot about how it works. Then the state convention, there was an opening to run for Senate and I, I asked to do it and got support from the party, from both the Mises caucus and the state party. I'm happy to be a part of this, this slate of candidates that we have in Colorado running. Uh, but I am noticing that there's quite a lot of difference in a, in a libertarian point of view from a small race to a large race. And I am reliant far more on free media to spread the word than I am donations and mail. You know, I, one piece of mail would be bigger than my entire budget. So it's not going to be in the plan. The plan is going to have to be, you know, maybe a couple of billboards and a lot of free media, a lot of podcasts, a lot of radio shows, I have a long list of radio shows that I'm trying to call into to get on on a weekly basis. It's going to be more of a mass market, get the name out there, social media, digital media, that type of campaign. And I think I still have a lot of growing to do as far as, as producing one that's successful. I, I, I realized that I need to work in a more of a coalition mindset. There are existing groups PACs, political groups, church groups, gun groups that I need to put together behind behind my candidacy. That is going to be a bigger multiplier than anything else I can do. You know, people that respect this group, see my endorsement, can vote for me because of it. So I'm, I'm spending my time focusing on those types of endorsements. People who are respected, honorable, or leaders of groups to put their put their endorsement behind me so with your city council run um who did you lose to was it to a republican or to a democrat how did the uh how did the vote kind of split out on that i mean the the fact that you got 45 percent of the vote is like that's phenomenal and um to knock on every door like that and get and to raise that much money and that's and in that kind of a a race is really really impressive so that like that's I would say that I would say that is definitely a success, whether whether you won or not. That is uh, that's a huge that's kind of a huge deal. So it, it talk tell me a little bit about that campaign in and of itself. So so I ran against a Democrat uh, and ended up losing by 400 and change votes. Wow, uh, not a lot of votes in the election. Uh, he, he mostly spent all his money on a consultant that was shared across the slate of Democrats. And that consultant put out all his mail, designed all his mail, did his website, 
did everything. All he had to do was raise money and, and then go to events himself. And, and otherwise the spending was taken care of, right? Because there was a slate of six Democrats all sharing the same consultant who put out mail together at the same time together. They had a, a large registration advantage over me because the majority of the people in my district were registered Democrat. Uh, I turned out more a higher percentage of Republicans than they turned out Democrats. Uh, there was no Republican in my race. Uh, I ran working with the other Republicans, but we didn't share resources. We didn't have any kind of shared consulting campaign manager, anything like that. We disagreed on a lot of things. <laughs> I think that they would have preferred to have somebody different in their group with them. Uh, but it was a clean sweep. The Democrats won the entire city. They have 11 out of 11 offices. So it, it was a big blue wave that I was trying to overcome. And I learned a lot about that. I think if I were to do it again, I would have had, I would have set a much higher target for myself raise twice as much money, knock on every door twice, you know, what would I do whatever I need to do to get the 400 more votes, right? Like it wasn't good enough. So it, it was all a waste of time and effort except for my experience, right? So if I go through the same thing again, and I need to learn from that experience. Do you think there would have been any potential benefit to running as a Republican as opposed to a Libertarian in that situation, since there was not a Republican running in that for that spot? Um, did they have any sort of infrastructure? So I talked to um, Brandon Harnish, who is going to become a county counselor uh, or won his seat for county council in Wells County, Indiana. And he and a number of others ran as Republicans and had a like a campaign manager working with them. And they sent out flyers and they did a lot of other stuff. Do you think there would have been any benefit to doing something like that for for that city council race? I mean, it sounds like you. Well, it was a, all the Republicans anyway, but it was a nonpartisan race. OK. And I met with the Republican who wanted to run beforehand. And we decided that she was going to run and not me because I didn't want to have a three-way race with a Democrat having the largest advantage in the first place. And then she couldn't do it. And so I, st so I said, okay, my turn then. So I think that there's a lot of room in these small races to actually meet with the Republicans or Democrats and decide when you can have a chance at running, right? Because just because they might tell you you're a third party, you have every opportunity to say, yeah, but I can make, I can guarantee you lose. So either work with me or I will make you lose every time until you work with me, right? But that can't be an empty threat. You need to be able to put put up the numbers and put in effort, right? You can't just put your name on the ballot. But if you're pleasant and work with people, you can make sure that libertarians have good opportunities to be elected. So do you see this Senate race as a potential to kind of create that sort of an inroad, especially if if Colorado is starting to swing back red as, you know, I, I can't remember where I saw that. Like I, I read an article that talked about um, a few different key states that I seem don't, to be. I don't believe that we're swinging back red, right? I think that the, the national environment might be a red in, 
environment nationally, right? Biden's doing horribly. So Republicans might on a relative basis do better, but that doesn't mean the state changed, right? Like it's not like a bunch of conservatives moved here, Republicans or libertarians. And my goal in this race is to bring together a coalition of disaffected voters who hate both options on the ballot. Look, you believe in gun rights, free speech, you're, you're pro-life, and you, you believe that the government spends too much money and the Federal Reserve is a problem. If you believe in any of those things, I'm your only candidate. So I want to collect all the votes of disaffected voters, tell them that they should not throw away their vote on a Republican this year, that they should support a candidate that actually is a protest vote, showing that our, our votes add up to a big number. That they need to listen, to, that the Republican Party should listen to its base or the Libertarian Party is going to become the second largest party in the state. Which I would prefer that. I'd prefer the Libertarian Party become the second largest party in the state. And the Republican Party becomes a minor party because they haven't represented anybody. We're, we are actually moving in that direction in Indiana where the Libertarian Party is becoming the uh, the second where the Libertarian Party is becoming the second party as opposed to the Democrats because the, the Democrats in the state have been so uh, so out there and, and incredibly progressive and they only seem to be representative of like the really big cities like Indy and that's about it. Uh, so So that is kind of moving in that direction. And if the Republican Party is not actually living up to representing its base in Colorado, then that should, I guess, so I tend to lean in the the more post-libertarian type of mindset. And if it is, if you have a significant problem with bad Republicans, which is what it kind of sounds like, then yeah, you need somebody who's going to push them to uh, stop being bad and kind of kind of get their shit together and, and acknowledge that either you can start to represent your base in the, in the correct manner and actually be conservative, actually promote the ideals and the, the priorities and the, the principles that you claim to stand for, or you're going to be relegated to losing forever. So. Or, or how about if you're going to lose, you lose with principles, right? How is the Republican party any different than the libertarian party in Colorado? They lose everything. The libertarian party has as many victories on a statewide basis as the Republican Party can say they have. You know, the last Libertarian governor and the last Republican governor are such a long time ago that who cares, right? Like, you might as well say what you believe in, even if you mean to lose. Even if uh, you're John Brown 10 years too early for the Civil War, right? You say what you believe in. Do what's right, not just trying to say what you think will get you elected and and stand for nothing. Brian, I really appreciate you taking the time. Why don't you uh, give your plugs, tell people where they can go to find out more about you and donate and help you out and everything, and uh, we'll get out of here. Hey, if you're still listening to this, you're one of the uh, one of the few people who needs to put up some some money for my campaign, help me get some headshots and commercials. I promise to make them funny. I promise to try to make them as hilariously libertarian as I can. Please go to piotr.com. Sign up to be on my email list. Give me 10 bucks. Uh, 
stay in touch, be a part of my community. I'd really appreciate it. Brian, thanks again. This has been a great episode. And for anybody who is still listening, uh, be sure to tune back in on the, the next Monday where I will have a brand new episode with uh, Trey 50 Daniel, who has actually been in the chat during this episode. Uh, he and I are going to talk about uh, movie and television adaptations of books and comic books and video games and how they stack up canonically and do we even care if they stack up canonically so thanks again everybody uh see you on monday see you later